Well, kids, it's good that you're here because I got a question for you. We're going to put it up on the screen. Let's see if you guys have an answer for this one, all right? The question is, how many hairs are on the average human head? Average is a big word. It means like if you took everybody's heads and counted up all the hairs and you tried to figure out how many hairs do most people have, what do you think? Shout out your guesses. What do you think? What do you think? Adults, you can get in on this too. Teens, what do you think? How many? Guess again. 66, 80, 100. That is a great guess. Very close. Um, here's as best we could figure it out. Here's what we came up with as an, as an answer. <laughs> Lots of hairs. Um, you, I tried Googling this thing and, and, and said, how many hairs does the average person have? And, you know, that's basically what they gave me. Lots. Some people said, oh, about 90,000. Some said about 100,000. Some said 86,000, um, There's all kinds of different answers for this. No person knows for sure. No person knows for sure. There's no way that any one person could go and count every hair on every head from every person that's ever lived and then do the math. Especially since my number changes daily. You know, when I look into the shower or the sink. And maybe some of you can, can relate to that. Um, no need to say amen. Uh, we, we know who you are. But, but, the, the, but this is how it is. You know, we, 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 we as people, we don't know the answer to this question. We as people don't know the answer to this question. But kids, you know one of the things that is so cool about God? He knows the answer to this question, doesn't he? Here's one of the things it says in the Bible. Take a look at this. If you're not a reader, I'll read it for you. It says, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. God knows you so well that he even knows not just how many hairs you have in your head. He has a number for each one. All right, indulge me for a second, everyone. Um, young and old, grab one piece of your hair if you can. Grab one piece of your hair. All right? God knows what number that one is. It might be 102. It might be 1,003. He's got a number for that one. And if you grabbed a bunch of them, he would be able to tell you all of the ones that you grabbed. He could say, oh, that's numbers 2,080 through 2,097. God knows you that well. To God, you're not just some kid. To God... You're a very special person. He knows all about you. He knits you together. The Bible says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. He knows you, and he knows you, and the Bible also helps us to understand he doesn't just know us, he cares about us. He knows us, and he cares about us. And those two things are related. He cares about you because he knows you, and you matter to him. Now, let me... Invite the, um, the adults and the, and the teens into the conversation here. I want to show you a quote. I've, um, I've been working through a book by Craig Rochelle. It's called The Christian Atheist. Uh, and I'm, we finished the series, but I'm still reading the book. Uh, here's something, a quote that I came across that I think really speaks to this idea of, of how God feels about us. Uh, Craig writes, God cares for each one of us. Matthew 9.36 tells us about Jesus' deep, what word is up there? Compassion, Jesus' deep compassion. Well, the Greek word for compassion means to feel deeply, as deep within one's gut. Jesus felt the pain of people deep down in his gut. And God already felt that way before he sent Jesus to us. God describes himself to Moses in the Old Testament in Exodus 34, 6, as the Lord, the what? The compassionate and gracious God. The part of his name that translates into our word compassionate is the Hebrew word. 
from which is, which is derived from the same origin as the Hebrew word for womb. All that to say, God's compassion for us, it is something he feels deeply. When the Bible says God cares, when the Bible says he has compassion, it's using words and language that, that, that says he feels deep within himself. This deep love for us. This deep care for us. That's what God feels. God knows us. God cares about us. And those two things are related to each other. Because you're not just some statistic. You're not just some number to God. You're somebody that he knows. You're somebody that he loves. You're someone that he created. You're someone that he has plans for. And that's true for every one of us. Now let's, let's make the jump from God to God's people. If you are one of God's people and you are allowing the Spirit of God to, to fill your life, if you're allowing Him, allowing your body to become His temple, more and more and more, you're going to see that's happening in your life too. That the Spirit of God in you is going to develop care and compassion for other people as you get to know them. You're going to have this deep love for, for others, and you're going to experience that yourself. When a person becomes more than a statistic to you, when they become more than a number to you, you will start to have a connection with them. And a number of us, we, we just had this happen as a church family not too long ago. Um, I opened this series that we're in. We're in week four of a series, for those of you who are just joining us. We opened this series. I was telling a story of how, um, how issues of poverty first became real to me. And it's when I started to meet people who were in that situation. And they, didn't, they weren't just um, statistics. They weren't just numbers. But these were people now that I knew their names. I knew their stories. I interacted with them. We played together. We ate together. We did things together. And it be I began to feel it. Well, these folks live in a city called Juarez. And over the years, Juarez has become a more dangerous place. And one of the things that happens in Juarez is, is kidnappings. And I was aware, as the kidnappings were increase, increasing, I was aware that that was happening. And from time to time, I would pray about it, but I didn't feel it here. I didn't feel it in my gut until our friend Howell was kidnapped. And a lot of you in this room can relate to that. How even though we knew that kidnappings happened in Juarez, it wasn't until someone that we knew personally was kidnapped that we began to feel it. And I can still remember what I felt. I, it was, you could feel it in your gut. And I remember praying hard, fasting, reaching out to others. And I remember waiting and waiting to hear, how is he? Have you heard anything? I remember how it just, it consumed me and it consumed us. Until that time where we real, when, when he was miraculously set free and we rejoiced. Because he wasn't just a statistic. This was Howell. Well, the timing of today's message is really interesting. I didn't sync this up. I don't think any person really could have. Um, just last night, uh, something was happening um, also with one of our friends, in, family friends, in, uh, in Juarez. Last night, just about 6 o'clock, I started to receive some texts and some pictures from my friend Batel Lopez, who lives in Juarez. And here's the backstory on, on this. In the Mexican culture, Hispanic culture, Latin America, when a girl turns 15, it's a really big deal. It's a really big deal. When a girl turns 15 in that culture, many people throw a special party called a... Quinceanera. Well, we have a girl we sponsor down in, in Juarez. Um, her name's Hanya. And last time we were in Juarez, we were, we were talking to her, and we found out that she was turning 15. 
And so, we, so I asked her, are you, are you going to have a party? And, and she got kind of quiet, and she, she said no. Um, there, her family couldn't afford that. Her family couldn't afford a party. Well, I, I'm sure that, that there are thousands of kids, thousands of, of young ladies who are turning 15 who can't afford a party. I, I'm sure that there's thousands of them. In our family, we, we, can't, we can't help thousands of people um, with their party. But this is Hanya. This is Hanya. You, you can't not let ha- Hanya have a party, right? If money is the only thing standing in the way. And so that's the backstory. Here are some pictures of what happened yesterday. This was happening last night. There is Hanya with her dad, Donovan. There's Hanya. Her favorite color is azul. Um, with her sister, Frida, and her dad, and then uh, there's Hanya with, um, and some of you recognize these faces, right? Who are they? Who's that? Armando and Karen. Yep, absolutely. They, um, they were up here. They were up here not too long ago. Armando led us in a song, and Karen leads the sponsorship program. And so, again, I, many of you have a life like this. But for those that don't, tune in today. Because I, I long for you to have a moment like we had as a family last night. We sat on Andrew's bed. And I, I was working, so, and I, but this was happening. I'm like, i got to show these girls this before they go to bed. And we sat and we looked at the pictures of Hanya and, and, uh, and we were able to celebrate what God did, you know, that he brought together this friendship and he was able to, um, to, to do something like that. Well, when people become more than a statistic, when they become a Hoel, when they become a Hanya, um, something in you wants to act when you see a need. And that's, that's the spirit of God. Here's, here's what it says in 2 Thessalonians 2.8. It says this. This is becoming a theme verse for me when it comes to issues of compassion and justice and, and, and mission. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but what? Our lives as well. Our lives as well. Now, you need to hear this clearly. Okay, Every, everyone focus in here. You need to hear this clearly. Am I saying that you should never do an act of kindness for a complete stranger? No. There are times where the Spirit of God, hear this clearly, there are times where the Spirit of God will, will prompt you to do an act of compassion for someone that you will never see again, someone that can never pay you back, someone that you're not in relationship with. Are we all on the same page in that? Okay, there are times God does that. And that can bring honor to God, that can bring glory to God, that can bring out change. So I'm not saying this is an either-or. I'm saying this is a both-and. In addition to listening to those promptings of the Holy Spirit, also, I want to encourage you as strongly as I can to begin developing relationships with others that are two-way, where it's ongoing, where you're really developing friendships with other folks. Um, if you haven't already, I'd encourage you to take out that green sheet from your bulletins and please write this down. Please write down, friendships that cross economic lines can be mutually transformational. Let's say that again. Friendships that cross economic lines can be mutually transformational. This is what we're going to now get into and, and unpack a little bit. And we're going to do so by talking about a man named Lazarus. Now, we opened this series talking about a man named Lazarus. 
This man named Lazarus that we talked about at the beginning of the series, he's real. He was a real person. He really lived. He really died. He really came back to life before dying again. That was a real guy. That was a real account. We looked at that. The Lazarus we're going to look at today, it's a story. It's a story that Jesus told, a parable, a story that, that Jesus wanted that told to, 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 um, to prove a point. Now, if you have your Bibles with you, let's take a look at a passage that we looked at several years ago as a church. It's one worth revisiting. Um, This is found in Luke chapter 16, beginning with verse 19. I also want to mention as we open up our Bibles here, if you don't have a Bible at home, we would love for you to have one. We have a stack of them there on the back of uh, that back welcome table. Please just take one free. We would love to, uh, to, to send you home with one today. All right, Luke chapter 16. I'm going to read uh, 19 through 21 here, and then we'll pause, talk about a little bit. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. All right, let me set this up a little bit because in our culture, we might have some different things happening in our heads than the point that Jesus is trying to make when he tells the story. Um, First of all, I think all of us can see there's a contrast here, right? You've got someone that's being set up as rich. You have someone that's being set up as poor. That's Jesus is making a contrast. Well, it's interesting to look at how strong a contrast he's making. Jesus brings up the fact that the rich man wore purple. And some of you who know a little bit of history may know that that was a a color that was hard to come by. That was a color that was sometimes reserved for royalty. It was a color that that was expensive and hard to get. So this guy had nice clothes, all right? He also has food. And he doesn't just have food. He has more food than he can eat. We know because there was food that was kind of falling off the table, left on the table. Now, when I first heard this story, I was thinking, and I, and I, um, when, when I was thinking about this, uh, oh, I mean, rich man. Let me get to him. I was moving on to Lazarus before that. Oh, the other thing about rich man that I wanted to point out is that he has a gate protecting his property. He has a gate protecting his property. So not only can he afford that, he must have something worth protecting. Okay? So we've got rich man. We have rich man who's got nice clothes. We have rich man who's got more than enough to eat. We have rich man who's got a lock protecting his home and his stuff. And he, this rich man, um, what was his name again? Interesting, huh? It doesn't give him a name. I think that's worth noting. Rich man, they call him. Let's call him rich man. All right, so that's rich man. Now let's talk about Lazarus. Now let's talk about Lazarus. He's contrasted with rich man. And look how he's contrasted. Contrasted. It says that Lazarus was laid at the rich man's gate, implying that Lazarus can't just get around easily on his own. He was laid there at the gate. Um, Lazarus is covered with sores. So he's got some kind of disease, some kind of something that's going on with him. He also was hungry. In fact, he was so hungry, he wished he could just have the guy's leftovers. And then here's the part that I wanted to jump ahead on. Um, Moreover, it says, even the dogs came and licked his sores. Now, this is one that I think a lot of times we, we think differently than what Jesus was saying. At least I did. I've heard of this story since I was a kid. When I was a kid, I was thinking, okay, Lazarus has got it tough, but at least... At least he's got nice dogs. (laughs) At least Lazarus, you know, God sent a nice little puppy to go and to lick him and love him and hug him. This is Andra's 
puppy cupcake. And so in my little cartoon bubble in my head, there's poor Lazarus sitting out there, but at least he's got a nice dog. Actually, he's got several dogs to come lick his sores. So that was the cartoon bubble in my head. Is that what Jesus was trying to communicate? Not at all. How many of you have ever seen street dogs? All right. Street dogs are not like Lady and the Tramp. Street dogs are often, um, they often carry all kinds of disease. Street dogs, they can be loving one minute, and the next minute, they'll snap at you. Street dogs, um, unpredictable. Street dogs were looked at like a lot of people look at rats by those folks, except bigger and scarier. And I've, I've encountered those. I used to go running when I go down to Juarez. Um, and I, I started to learn you carry a rock when you go running in Juarez because these dogs would come at you. Well, one time I was running in Juarez, and I saw not just one, but I saw a pack of street dogs. And I, I tell you, I, one dog would make me a little uneasy. A pack? That had me very uneasy. Well, at least because I could move, unlike Lazarus, I could maneuver in such a way where I could avoid them. I saw them coming. I could get away from them. I don't know what I would have done if I had been surrounded by street dogs. Lazarus couldn't do that. Lazarus was laid at the gate, and Lazarus had these scary, unclean, unpredictable dogs tasting them. So, this contrast that Jesus paints, it is a stark contrast. It is a, as stark a contrast, really, as, as you, could, you could get. So, a modern audience, we look at that and we say, why wouldn't, a, why wouldn't rich guy help? Why wouldn't rich guy help? Because I think most of us, we think something along these lines. There's a place to write this in your notes, too. Um, I encourage you to write this down. Those with material resources should help others break free from the grip of material poverty. Now, I have to send um, my notes to, to these guys early. And a lot of times they change between the time I send them and the time I think about them. Um, I, I wouldn't have emphasized the word material with second thought. What I would have done is, you see the word should? That's the one I would have put in capital letters. Originally, when I wrote this out the first time, my first run at it, I put that those with material resources can help. We can help others break free from the gift of poverty. Meaning you have something that you can contribute to help turn a life around. You can help. Those of you who know the Bible, is that a can or is it a should? It's a should. It's a should. Today's going to be uncomfortable for a lot of us. It was extremely uncomfortable for me. Those with material resources should help others Break free. There we go. Go, Mike. <laughs> you should help others break free from the grip of material poverty. Now, this, this you find. If you open your Bible, open it up. Start in the Old Testament, start in the New. You're going to see it in both. Here's one example from the Old Testament. It says this. I, this is from the book of Isaiah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. All right, those of you who know the Bible, we won't get into it. we got kids here. Um, this is as offensive language as you can use. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me? 
says the Lord. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Isaiah continues on in uh, chapter 58. Is, is this not the kind of fasting I've chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke. To set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, clothe him. When you're then, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. This isn't just Old Testament. Here's a New Testament passage that we use as we opened up the series. Take a look at this. This is one of John's disciples reflecting on the life of Christ. He says this, By this we know love, that Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers and sisters. If anyone has the world's goods, hear that? If anyone has the world's goods, and sees their brother, their sister in need, yet closes their heart against them, how does God's love abide in you? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. You know, earlier I, I asked you to, to write down this thing about having a friendship with someone that crosses economic lines and how that can be transformational. And I think... All of us get that, right? All of us get, especially get it like this. We get that if you have resources and you share them with certain folks who will seize the opportunity and do something with it, you can bring about transformation. You can, you can, you can help break the, the, the cycle of poverty in a life. There are people, they just need a chance. Now, again, if you weren't here for the first three weeks, time and time again, we made the point that that you can actually make things worse by just throwing money at a situation. You can make things worse. You can create entitlement. You can create dependency. All kinds of bad things can happen if you just toss money at it, at a situation. The Bible itself says if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. All right? So we, we spent time on that. But that said, there are people who just need a chance. There are people who just need enough food to have enough energy to be able to work so that they can support themselves and their family. There are some people, they just need enough, they have ideas, they just need, you know, some of them 25 bucks to get started on the road to, to, to developing a business. There are some people that just need a skill. There are some people that just need to be physically delivered from slavery. There are, there are some people, they just need a chance. And those of us who can provide that chance should, as God leads. And I think we all get that. We all get that, that, that someone with means, sharing with someone that doesn't have means, there's potential there to bring about transformation. But that's not the point that Jesus is making here. Jesus throws a monster twist. A monster twist. Especially to the original hearers of this story. It was a monster, monster twist. Let's go back to the story that Jesus told as he told it. Luke 16. Now we're going to look at verses 22 and 23. It says the poor man died. Lazarus died. And Lazarus was carried by angels to Abraham's side. Okay. 
Those hearing this for the first time would be doing that kind of thing. In fact, one of the sources I, I consulted in preparation for today said this would have been highly offensive language. Because Lazarus, he appears to be cursed. I mean, look at his life. He appears to be forsaken by God. How could it get any worse? He's hungry. He's diseased. He has to be laid down at a place. He's got a pack of dogs licking him. I mean, this, this appears like this guy is forsaken by God, but yet he, this unclean person, is carried by angels to Abraham's side. Abraham was understood to be the father of the Jewish people. What? Poor diseased guy is at the, the most um, significant, honored place at a heavenly banquet? What? This would have been shocking. It would have been offensive. It would have blown brain cells. And then the other part doesn't get any better. Not only does the rich man not have a name yet, he dies, he's buried, and it says he's in Hades. Being in torment, he lifts up his eyes, he sees Abraham far off, and Lazarus at his side. Okay, rich man, look, she should be the blessed one, right? Isn't he the one that people would say, oh, he's blessed by God. He's blessed with health. He's blessed with wealth. He is receiving God's favor. And yes, that was a shot. He, there are people that would see that, that this, this appears as though rich man has all of God's blessing. But yet, he's in Hades, which we often translate in English as hell. And there would have been audiences that would have just looked at that. They would just shut their head. And they're going, this is upside down. Because what it appears on earth is blessing. This guy, he's not being blessed in eternity. And this guy appears to be cursed in life. But now he's receiving blessings in heaven. What is going on here? This would have seemed upside down. It would have seemed shocking. It would have seemed offensive. It would have seemed confusing. And I believe here is a truth, not the truth, but a truth that Jesus wants to make clear through this story. And that truth is this, that wealth, material wealth, can mask spiritual poverty. If I didn't love trees and hadn't printed your notes on Tuesday, I would have... Had that, you write that one down in your notes. That would have been a blank. Material wealth can mask spiritual poverty. When we have resources, when we have these means, we can sometimes be blinded. Or when we're surrounded with others that have them, we can sometimes be blinded to our true spiritual condition. We can be blinded to these things. Let's continue reading. This is... um. A condensed version from Luke 16, 24 through 31. And the rich man called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I'm in anguish in the flame. I beg you, send him to my father's house. I've got five brothers so that Lazarus may warn them lest they also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have... Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they'll repent. And Abraham said to the rich man, hey, if they don't hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. All right, let me unpack this a little bit because it illustrates that this is the wrong model. This one over here, this is the wrong model of how things are. Are. And we see this in, in the rich man. We see this in the rich man, how 
the rich man, he still thinks that he's, he somehow thinks he's above Lazarus. Did you pick that up from there? He, he, he looks, he, he says, you know, hey, I'm in this tough situation. Lazarus, send poor boy. Send poor boy to go do what I need him to do. Rich man doesn't get it, that it's not, I'm above others. Do you see that? There's, there's a, a poverty, a blindness that the rich man has, that he's somehow superior, that he should just be able to order Lazarus around. So there's that whole thing that, that this rich man is blind to. The rich man is also blind in the sense of here he is trying to tell Abraham the way things should be. You see that too? He is spiritually blind. He thinks he understands. He thinks he understands how things work in the spiritual world. He thinks that, well, if... If, if he, obviously, if you send Lazarus, he comes back from the dead, obviously people are going to believe, they're going to they're gonna know that, 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 that they've got to change their ways. Well, we know this isn't true because what happened when Jesus lay, raised a real person named Lazarus? Did everyone believe? No. Jesus raised dead, dead Lazarus from the dead and there were some people that wanted to kill him, kill Lazarus. So here is rich man. He has these blind spots. He has these, these things that he thinks he understands are the truth. He has these ideas that of, of God and how things are, but he's blind and, and he doesn't recognize that. What if, what if during life, during the earthly life, what if rich man would have started to interact with Lazarus? What if rich man would have shared and helped Lazarus out? And what if then rich man could have come to understand some things that Lazarus evidently knew about eternity? Think how different things could have been. And what I want to offer to you is that there are at least 2 billion people who live on $2 a day or less in this world. Who's your Lazarus? There's a lot of them out there. Who is it that you could enter into a relationship with that could be a two-way thing? Because I believe this is more the, the heavenly model over here where it's not rich above poor, nor is it poor above rich. Because I think a lot of times we glamorize one or the other. It's, hey, it's us. And the relationship is supposed to go both ways. We all have things that we can learn from each other. We all have things that we can offer one another. What if we started to develop these kind of relationships, real relationships, by name, by face, two-way, interactive, could that possibly be mutually transformational? And one of the reasons I feel so strongly about this is because, you know, I, I can fill my name into that rich guy's spot. You know, I, the Halo. Halo, is that the one with Master Chief? All right. I've heard some people say, I don't know, I don't know my games very well, but I've heard some people say that the reason he wears a helmet is because then you can identify with him. Because you can't see his face, you can picture yourself as this character in this video game. I wonder if Jesus didn't say rich person so that we could insert our names into that story. And one of my blind spots is I don't consider myself rich. Because I look around here and I say, I'm not rich compared to the standards around here. You know, I, I know a lot of people have a bigger house than me. I know a lot of people make more money. I know a lot of people have nicer things, blah, 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 blah. And so it's so easy for me to put myself in that reference point. 
But there are, but I look at the rich guy, and even though this isn't identical, hey, I've got more clothes than most people in the world. And I, just this weekend, we had food falling off the table. And, and the lock, we got locks on our doors. And, and I look at some of the parallels, and then I look at the real world, where two billion people live on less than $2 a day, and a whole lot of those people would look to me and say, you're rich. That's a blind spot that I have. And how do I, how do I see that blind spot? I see that blind spot as I interact with my friends who are in a much different situation than I am. And every time I come back, I realize just how blessed and how blind I can become. And I'd encourage you before we close our time together to write this down too. Write this down. Those who are rich in faith can help their friends discover how blessed and blind they really are. And again, this isn't just poor working up. This is all of us together because a number of people who are poor can have prejudices and they can have misconceptions and people who are rich can. We all can. And it's in these friendships that are surrendered to God and, 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 and truly interactive that can be truly transformational. And we can begin to see these blind spots in our own lives. And whether you're rich or poor, you can understand that you are blessed and you are blind. We can all begin to, to see those things. Now, a sobering thought, and this is, again, I, I said it's going to be uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. There's a, a sobering thought that came to me as I was reading this passage, and I'd encourage you to read it and reread it you know, in Luke 16. A sobering thought that occurred to me is I'm used to hearing this kind of thing when, when I hear pastors talk. I'm used to hearing all kinds of disclaimers. And if this was most American pastors um, telling this story, let's say they made it up a story to prove a point, they would have all kinds of disclaimers. If their rich person ended up in Hades, they, they would make all kinds of disclaimers before or after the story. They would say things like, well, evidently he's really in Hades because he never received Jesus Christ as his personal Lord and Savior. Or they would say things like, evidently, there must have been some real evil. He must have rejected truth. There must have been some other things that we don't know. I look at this story, and I'd encourage you to do it yourself. I don't see any of those disclaimers. What I see is a rich man, an unnamed rich man, who I can easily identify with. And he's in Hades, and the variable appears to be there was someone he didn't help. Now, I'm not going to discount the other things the Bible says. I just think we have to be careful about adding a lot of disclaimers when Jesus does it. But here, what I don't want you to do is to go home feeling all beat up of, oh no, I'm, I'm blessed and therefore cursed. No, this is grace that this story is included in the Bible. Because rather than going through life blind with all these blind spots, we have this wake-up call in the scripture that says, hey, 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 here is this story that I'm telling, and this is what happens in the story. It doesn't have to happen to you. You don't have to get to the end of your life and end up in a conversation with God where you're like, oh, I, 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 uh, uh. you can right now apply and learn from what Jesus has graciously revealed to us, that there is good news 
that God doesn't want us to go through life blind. That God doesn't want us to go through life neglecting the blessings. This is Thanksgiving weekend. He doesn't want you to go through life neglecting the blessings he's already sent your way. He doesn't want you to to go always looking at other people thinking, I'll be rich if, I'll be rich if, I'll be rich if. He wants you to look around and say, look what I've given you. Hug those kids. You know, savor this food. Give thanks for daily bread. He wants to bring us to a place, we talk about this so much, he wants to bring you to a place where you can be content in all situations. He wants you to have that. Where you don't have to be dependent upon your outward circumstance, but you can learn to be content in all situations. And one small piece of that is to develop a friendship with a Lazarus. That can help. I know it's helped me. If I didn't have the friends that I have, if I hadn't had somebody basically drag me and pull me to Mexico as a teenager, I would be, I'm still blind to a lot of things, but I would be much more blind than I am now. And we would have never had that neat little moment that we had last night on Andrew's bed. So as a church, we're only four years old. We, we don't have um, the capacities yet to, to um, have 300 different Lazaruses all waiting right outside saying, hey, pick me, pick me, you know, or anything like that. And it doesn't work that way anyway. But here, here are some ideas as you go forth from this place, you know. Here are some thoughts, some things you could do going forth. Um, one of them is to join the Compassion Justice Missions team. This is not an inclusive group. Or this is not an inclusive, it's not an exclusive group. It is not an exclusive group, meaning anyone can join this. And you can be a part of the team at our church that is helping us identify what partnerships are we going to have? How do we help provide more opportunities for more people to meet more people and make these friendships? Um, talk to Tim. Tim heads up that team. Others on the Compassion team, Mary, Tom. Um, there's a number of them. Talk to them. Get involved. Give it a try a couple weeks. They're not going to make you sign on for the rest of your life or anything like that, um, we'd encourage you to be, become a part of things. Get to know some of these people through that. Um, another one, we've started to work um, with a local partner here, or a regional partner, Urban Homeworks. It's a great way to go and to start to build some relationships with some people who really get it. Ryan and Melissa Alberts used to worship with us every Sunday, but God called them to Haiti. Um, they have a great uh, updates that they send out. How many of you are on their email updates? A number of you. Aren't they great? They do a super job. They would love to have more conversations. They would love to be in connection with some of you, emailing back and forth, talking about things, discovering things. They can, they can sometimes Skype based on the internet service. They would love to have more people that they could share what's going on. And we're going to try to find a time where we can go visit them. You don't have to wait for us. You can visit them anytime you want. But we're going to try as a church to say, here's a date that a bunch of us are going. Come with us. And Manual Children's Home. A number of you are already sponsoring kids. We encourage you to, to consider that. You start to get to know the names, get to know the faces. And again, pray about this one because it's not like you know, going to Texas or something. But if, if God puts it on your heart, visit. Come and visit the home. Uh, Tim's going down 13th, December 13th. Got some frequent flyer miles? Want to make a phone call? He'll, go with them. Go with them this December. Um, I'm going down in March. Uh, you going in March, Tim? So we're also going on in March and again in July, right? So there's an opportunity too. 
Are these the only four steps in the right direction? No. You might literally be more in the Lazarus situation where there's somebody that you cross paths with almost every day. I don't know. But I do know this. God wants us all to have <clears throat> these relationships that are mutually transformational. So let's pray to that end as we stand and uh, prepare to go our separate ways. Let's pray. Lord, bless us with these friendships. You say that if we pray anything according to your will, it will be done. So Lord, we are praying this. We are praying that you will link us up with friends, with friends and people in different situations that we can bless and be blessed by, that we can learn from and teach. Lord, that, that you mixed in, not just mixed in, but as we submit our lives and our friendships to you, Lord, that you will take and do something beautiful out of it. Lord, thank you for blessing us with uncomfortable stories like this. Some of them that are real people, some of them that are, that are parables. Thank you, Lord, for blessing us. And I pray, Lord, that your spirit would speak to us. Give us ears to hear. Give us hearts to receive so that the things that you don't want us to have to learn the hard way, we can learn now through the experiences of others, through your stories. Holy Spirit, let that take root in us. We thank you for them. We don't want to go through life blind. We don't want to go through life blind. So Lord, open our eyes. Open our eyes to what true life is all about. Open our lives to what true blessings are and help us to fully live that kind of blessed life. May it start right here, right now. Tear away that which is blinding us and help us to walk out of these doors with new sight. Bless us in that way, especially now, Thanksgiving weekend, Lord. Help us to see blessings that we haven't seen. Help us to know what true blessings are. This we ask in Jesus' name, amen.